This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria Tellez interviews Barb Stone, the author of Archetypes Made Easy, Transform Your Beliefs, Empower Your Life, Live Your Truth. Barb's main work in the last 25 years has been around archetypes. The foundation of this work has come from Dr. Caroline Miss, with whom she studied in the States in 1996. Years later, having cast over 10,000 charts, a similar amount of healings, plus teaching many different modalities to others, her guidance showed her it was time to move into a new direction and focus her energy towards Jameson Sanctuary. This became a successful retreat place where many people felt empowered, renewed, validated, and refocused. It was a unique place in Victoria. After seven years, it was time to close the place down and move on to the next stage of the unfolding mystery. So Barb left at the end of January 2009. She traveled within Australia and overseas for the next two years. She moved back to Jameson Sanctuary January 2011, opening the sanctuary up to guests again. The property sold in June 2014, and Barb then moved to the Basin, on the outskirts of Melbourne, with her new partner. Barb recommenced her main archetype work again, opening up her website, archetypechartreadings.com. This means this work can be experienced all around the world in English-speaking countries. She published her book, Archetypes Made Easy, in 2019. This has meant this wonderful modality can be learned by anyone, anywhere, and with 25,000 charts under her belt, it's time to pass it on to those who wish to learn. Barb is also blessed to have three wonderful adult children and nine magnificent grandchildren. Meet Barb at archetypechartreadings.com. Here is the interview with Barb Stone. In your own words, who is Barbara Stone? Wow, a big question to start off with. I could say I'm the culmination of um, 70 plus years of living on this earth plane and what I've done, but they're my experiences. They're not who I really am. And I find that question intriguing because who any of us really are is not what the labels we put on it. So it's I find that difficult to answer that question. I can tell you the experiences that I've had, 
but um, who I really am, I think it's <laughs> indefinable actually. It's a mystery. So um, it's ever evolving and, and it's in um, it's changing and it's flowing. So like all of us, who I was as a child or in my 20s and all the things I did then and who I am now, um, vastly different and all of them have added to the puzzle. So I sound like I'm avoiding the question, but I really just find it hard to answer that. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Archetypes Made Easy, Transform Your Beliefs, Empower Your Life, Live Your Truth. I have a few questions before we get there. I call them warm-up questions. So my question is, how do we know when we are finally living our truth? What does it feel like? Or what does it look like? Wonderful question. For most of us, we're a product of our upbringing. Our parents influence enormously religion, culture, our peer group, the school system, the media of the day. And up until puberty, you really cannot be anything else but what everyone else has told you you should, you must, you have to be. Unfortunately, a lot of that, uh, those belief systems and concepts that we take on board which we have no other choice but to, um, are often fear-based and full of judgments, etc. When we're really living our truth and we know we're in our truth, there's a deepest sense of peace uh, that comes from the heart, whereas most of us live from the mind. I'll use that word mind, even though mind technically doesn't exist. No surgeon has ever operated on the mind, but we all understand what we mean by mind which is a compilation of our thought systems. But uh, when we're living from the deepest truth, there's a sense of deep peace. There's a sense of being um, true to ourselves in terms of living from our integrity and our authenticity. Even if that deepest truth is not palatable to other people, there's a sense of feeling of knowingness that comes from your intuition, your heart knowing that this is the right pathway for me right now. It doesn't mean to say it's always going to be the right pathway or, as I said, the right pathway for someone else because it's unfolding. But it, there is this, for me, when I know I have to do something or when spirit gives me, you know, the next thing to do, the next thing to do, my body is incredibly reactive. It goes through my whole body. Sometimes it lasts for 30 minutes, how long it goes on. There's just this, and I can't manufacture that, there's just this shot of energy that goes through that I just, my whole body just becomes electrified and I think, thank you, I know that's the pathway I have to walk now or I know what has just been said is truth. But I have no, um, no, I cannot be responsible for how other people handle that. That's their their choice and their right. So I can only deliver my own and be true to that. So it's a it's a knowing, peaceful, intuitive understanding that comes from within, and it's very, very different to a head decision, a mind based decision than a heart decision. Are feelings and emotions the same to you? No, they all sort of feel like they come under the same umbrella, but one generates another. As children, as I mentioned earlier, we're taught certain values and ways to be and it's part of the good girl archetype or the good boy archetype. 
And if we don't do what we're meant to do, a feeling will arise from within us. But there's an emotional charge that comes from behind that as well. So the emotion can be one thing, the feeling can be another. And so, but they'll all be, you know, put under the same banner, if you like, in terms of something that's going on for us. Um, no doubt we'll discuss it a bit later, but the feelings and the emotions that are generated from our childhood necessarily the truth of us. They're as a result of our environment and the energy that we're living in, the concepts that we're taught, etc., etc. It doesn't mean to say it's who you are or the truth of you. It's what's generated throughout your environment and, and all the things that go into that, the concepts and beliefs. Would you say that joy is a feeling, emotion or something else? Interesting. You picked the word joy uh, because I, what I got into this, one of the reasons I got into this work was to realise I had a literally a joyless, <laughs> literally upbringing. <laughs> My parents were very emotionally, um, I could use the word retarded. My father had emotion, but it was anger, and that's the main thing I saw coming from him. My mother was completely, utterly shut down. So I'm sure you understand for most of us, our reactivity is done through fight, flight, but there's freeze as well. And I recognise most of my childhood was spent in freeze mode. And so joy isn't possible when you're doing fight, flight or freeze mode. (laughs) And I had to learn what joy looked like and, and feel it and experience it because it was not natural for me. And the... I did experience it at different stages throughout my life, but it's my grandchildren that really brought that component into my life, which is wonderful and sad all at the same time. So it's um, way more of a feeling for me what joy really is. It's a bubbling up of spontaneous feeling of love, but it's not just with people. I get it in nature. I get it in, you know, a beautiful piece of music. It comes in so many ways, joy. It's wonderful. It's a a beautiful component. And for people who are brought up with joy in their childhood, I can't imagine what that's like, actually, but thankfully I know what it's like now. (laughs) That question that I asked you about, who is Barbara Stone, that's And you said it's really challenging to define that, the mystery. So I'll ask you another question. What is life to you? Life is, I think, an eternal unfolding. And probably I'm using words that sound a bit um, esoteric. But for me, life is experiencing consciousness in all its different ways. I wouldn't have answered that in my 20s, of course. But now, um, for me, life is depending on our perceptions and our values and, again, everything we've been taught uh, and depending on when we've examined who am I or what am I or any of those things, then for me, life now hasn't always been this way, but life now is a wonderful mystery that's unfolding. And um, I've just moved house here in Australia and we're just staying in a friend's place until um, 
we see what's happening. And for some people, doing that in at certain ages in your life would be scary. For me, it's such an exciting mystery because I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm really, I, I just have enormous trust. I've learned, had to learn about trust in as we all have to in, in major ways in my life. But now for me, life is all about the unfolding and the mystery and the excitement. And I feel I can do that because I don't put the label of right and wrong or good and bad on anything. It's just life unfolding and everything has its richness. Even the awful stuff that we go through, there is, I wouldn't swap anything that I've been through. And some of them have been hairy moments as they are for many people in life. But my goodness, what I've learned out of them has been so, so valuable. I can't say I necessarily enjoyed it at the time, but my God, the learning was fabulous for being able to shift perceptions and understandings and and let go of old old stuff that didn't serve me any longer so life for me is so rich in its unfolding even though we've never been in this time on the planet before never has the planet been shut down in the way that it is but depending on where you come from and how you see things and your understanding and your beliefs I see this as a humongous opportunity for change and quite frankly we need it the planet's right. heading for disaster if we don't do anything. So I see this as a brilliant opportunity for rewriting the whole script, really. Do you think life has an opposite? Uh, what would be the opposite to life? The obvious answer is death, but you're never more al- alive for me than the mm-hmm. moment you die anyway. So <laughs> it's not, it's not Just because of the work that I do. Uh, mm-hmm. it's. I think the opposite to life for me would be numbness, complete numbness, where you're utterly not alive to anything that's going on, where you're so shut down on so many levels that there is no... You're functioning, I guess, as a human, you know, you go to the toilet, you do different things, but when there's no joy and vitality and there's no excitement about it and the mystery is not unfolding, then, um, you know, you're just numb and that to me is the opposite to life really where you're just, you're numbed out and of course many people want that because they try to escape life because it's so awful for them and unpalatable and we escape life through, you know, so many ways with drugs and um, all sorts of drugs. I escaped life through being the workaholic um, because that's what my role model was. And um, but we can escape life in, in into the mind, into just doing mind the whole time rather than allowing the depth of feelings to come up that are there. So so many ways we escape. We can escape into food. Goodness me, we, we're, we're brilliant at escaping. So the opposite to life for me is a form of numbness where you're not alive to the opportunities that are being presented. My other question about life is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you think it is? Yes, I believe that we're here to learn about um, love because that's our true nature. And I think it's a rare thing on this earth plane to find what I would call call real love. We're brought up in pseudo-love. We're brought up in conditional love. We're brought up in manipulative um, experiences around love. For the majority of us, we're taught that we're loved when we're good and we do the right thing or we achieve or we're successful. 
And we've got so many labels that are stuck on that, none of which are the truth of us. So to come across, there's some magnificent beings on the planet that really do totally exemplify what real love looks like. So for me, we're here to learn um, what real love looks like. And yet this is one of the reasons for me the planet has to change. Uh, the love that we're brought up with is totally conditional for 99.99% of us. And so finding out what real love is, which is completely different, again, I discussed that in the book, but what love would look like at the tribal level, which is all the rules and regulations and things that we're brought up with, and then I'll love you if you achieve well or get good marks at school. But at the symbolic level and beyond, it is about complete and utter acceptance of self and others, no judgment, but we must have discernment. It is so, so vastly different to what we've been brought up with. If we were brought up, if we were all given certain if we're told the truth of who we are, which is that we're all magnificent energetic beings and we are vast in our um, abilities and understandings of what we can do, then we wouldn't be so contained and defined and shut down by what society tells us love looks like. So across the board, so I think we're here to really open up to the vastness of who we are and that, that to me our true nature is love. But Understanding that and being shown that and experiencing that are very different things for different people. Yeah, it sounds like. And that also sounds to me that is somewhat this idea we have of unconditional love, is that loving, giving with no conditions. Would you say that that's close? <laughs> That's the ideal, but, and people, I've heard so many people say to me over the years, oh, yes, I love that person unconditionally, and I just look at them and go, mm-hmm. What they're really saying is I love that person because they've never crossed me, they've never hurt me, mm. they've never harmed me, right. they've never rejected me. Because look what happens the moment you can, you can say I totally love that person and all of a sudden they ring up one day and say you're an idiot, I never want to see you again you're stupid, whatever horrible things are said. And the heart shuts down. Now, if we really knew what unconditional love looked like, the heart would never shut down. It would stay open. But it's we're not taught that. And and we we don't know we don't know our own true nature of love to keep our hearts open. So so yes, it's a, a contentious subject, like everything else is. So we 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 think we love unconditionally until somebody does something to hurt you, and then see what happens to the heart. <laughs> so I promise you, you'll go into rejection or betrayal or abandonment. Something will happen to you. So, but real love, true love, the heart is always open because you know the truth of who you really are. You are love, and you stay as that because you've dropped all the other programs mm. that you've received. That sounds wonderful to me. It's rare, but there are beings, and I'm not saying I'm one of them by any means, because it's it's what I, even using the words work on or practice are ridiculous, because this is our true nature. It's just clearing out all the other things that have told us what we're not. Right. It's actually much easier to see what you're not than the truth of who you really are. Mm. And that's that's the life mystery unfolding of showing us what we're not more than anything else. I'm wondering if you have met someone, a human being, who is able to love unconditionally, truly. Yes. 
I have met several in my spiritual journey, yes, and it's a rare gift, but it emanates from them consistently at all times. They never change. They are absolutely that love personified and it's magnificent to be around. And more and more, there are more and more people that are like this on the planet Um, because we need it, heavens knows, we need it. We need to have examples of whether you call it your Buddha nature or the Christ consciousness or I and it doesn't matter to me what label you put on it, but it is that ever-present energy of knowing your true nature is that. And and that's what, for me, we've come here to discover that. And some sometimes it'll take maybe thousands of lifetimes to actually get to that point um, of discovering that. And, yeah, that's another subject again, of course. So <laughs> it's like... <laughs> but that's that's what I believe we really are and hopefully that's us returning home to the truth of who we really are. Do you have a vision for a new reality, Barbara? On the planet? Um, yeah, on this planet. Okay, on the planet. Yes, uh, absolutely. Now I could start to get controversial. Uh, I was born with a memory of where I came from. This is in case people want to come and lock me up and put me in the funny farm. <laughs> but I, was, I do remember where I came from. And and then there's a certain point in our experiences where that drops away because we become, you know, all the programs we've received and what life wants us to be. And then um, part of my journey has been um, getting back in touch with that when I was in my mid-30s. That's when my whole life completely, utterly turned around because then I remembered it more consciously about where I was. Um, The reason I'm mentioning that is because once I started to connect with where that was in my 30s, thinking I wanted to go home and live there until I realised the fallacy of that. But what hit me by remembering all this in my 30s was I had never experienced love like that. I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because of that feeling, this is what I remember, this is who we are, this is how, even though they're weird-looking beings, but it was the love that, because I'd never experienced that here on the earth plane and in the human form, not consistently, little pockets, but not a lot of it. And so uh, that's a basis for me for understanding that to live in this planet where we're all taught from day one, and certainly the school system, in my opinion, has to radically, radically change because it's so limiting what we're taught in the school system. We are taught that we're energetic beings and we're here to have an experience, but we remember and we're taught who we are that we're vast in our abilities, that who we are, for example, is equal to perhaps our little fingernail full and the rest of us is out there in different time frames and dimensions and galaxies. If we knew that about ourselves and we retained that memory about who we were, we would not be subject to the power and the control and the manipulation and the issues that go on on this earth plane because we would remember the vastness of who we are and no one would have that level of authority 
overview. And then all of us, if we remembered all of this, we would live in a totally cooperative place because there would be nothing to contain us because we would always remember the vastness of who we are. So then everybody would be retreated, be treated with the same amount of respect and love and compassion and caring. And there'd be no such thing as better than and less than or, you know, I'm more educated than you. We would just explore and revel in the differences instead of making the differences wrong. And that's what happens in our 3D world, a three-dimensional world, where it's all based on duality, good, bad, right, wrong, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, that model needs to go out the window and, and perhaps it's dismantling right now. But if we could retain the memory of who we really were, we would live in a very, very different world. And, and it would be, that would be going home for me because that's what I remember. In a way, we can experience home here, now. Yeah, purpose, yes. Sorry, I'm interrupting you, but it's like when I first remembered where I was from and went home there, I just wanted to go home there. So it's taken the understanding and more and more realisation that there is no such thing as going home because it's already here. It's, it's an attitude, it's an understanding, it's a depth of contacting the heart that there is no such thing. It's here right now because that's the truth of you. It's who you are. So there's no such thing as going anywhere. It's now. <laughs> right. And that makes me wonder when would this happen? <laughs> because we, it seems like we're all waiting, some of us, um, to see them, um, humankind, everyone in this state of being. Remember us. Uh, where we're at on the planet right now, I've been hearing about this projected prophesized time for a long time, at least the last 30 years, that this is what, and we are in what would be called the end times or the Kali Yuga, depending on what you read or what you understand. We are definitely in those times. How long will it be? I've got no idea. That's up to how many people wake up and remember who they really are. I've got no idea how long that's going to take. I just hold the vision of what I know is my deepest truth, which is we are all beings of love and light and that's the world I want to live in and that's the world I focus whilst not closing down or shutting down the reality of the pain and suffering that's going on around me in every other way as well. So... That's been my message for so, so long now with all the chart readings that I've done. You're not who you think you are. You are a program that you've received and that's not the truth of you. So the more of us can start to remember, and that's a long journey, um, occasionally there are miraculous events where people can just suddenly wake up up and remember the truth of who they are but for the most people it's a steady um, slow process towards that with many many tests along the way of course but um, how long I don't know there's many many different um, prophecies around that so uh, um, I don't buy into that I just live here now and um, just come from that place of uh, the reality of which I know to be the truth of all of us, even though for many of us, including in my own family, there's many people who who don't subscribe to what I'm saying. Loads of people think probably think I'm nutty. That's okay. Yeah. I don't right. mind that. The subject of time. Yeah, I don't know why I asked the question because we know that time does not exist, but just the mind. Yeah, it's a con another concept, another idea. 
It is indeed. And I've had, yet for most people, trying to understand or explain time is really hard unless you've had experiences. I've had lots of -of out-of-body experiences where I totally understand uh, time is simultaneous. Even using that word is inaccurate, but where everything's happening now, past, present and future, which is a concept that we're taught and doesn't really exist I tend to explain it to people because unless you've had that experience for yourself, what I'm saying is rubbish. Yet I've had many of those experiences. So I try and explain it by saying it's like just imagine you're going to the movies when we're allowed to go to the movies. Just imagine you're in the movies and you're sitting there and you the film starts and you you sit through it and there's a beginning and there's a middle and an end yet the entirety of that film is already contained in the reel or the however they do it these days dvd or whatever they do it's all there in its entirety but our minds i'll use that word can't take it in its entirety so it has to be put to you reel by reel or bit by bit of beginning a middle and an end because we can't handle it any other ways but it does exist in its entirety simultaneously. And I've, I, I get that because I've experienced it on numerous occasions. And that's true. Yeah. It's really a challenge for the mind to understand. It is indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Most it's a real it's challenge. challenge. <laughs> yes, it is indeed. Uh-huh. So, Barbara, how did you become a writer? I've always loved English. It was probably my favourite subject at school and I've always enjoyed writing and I found it very easy to do. In fact, the book, which I had never had any intention of writing a book, I can tell you, even though I'd done, I've done well over 25,000 chart readings and, and a similar amount of healings and readings on the body as well. So it, it, it's expansive over the last 44 years, but um, I just follow whatever the guidance is that feels so right inside. So a friend yelled at me once and said, um, a, she yelled at me twice actually, and she said, when are you going to get real and get with the digital age and put this on the web so that everybody across the world can experience chart readings rather than just one-on-one face-to-face? And my body went bananas, I mentioned at the beginning. And so I said, okay, I hear you, I hear you. And it was a $15,000 exercise taking that risk that it would work because there's plenty of things online like tarot or whatever. But this had never been done before. And so thankfully I found the right person who could do the programming for it. And it was a big leap of faith, but I'm so was so thrilled to know that there was zero difference in the efficacy between someone sitting directly in front of me and doing those readings and putting them online. And then this same friend yelled at me a year or so later and said, um, oh, this is criminal if if you die with all this understanding and this knowledge, this should be written in a book. And I said, no, no, who needs another book on the market? And she said, well, I think it should be there. And again, my body went bananas. <laughs> and so I said, I get it, I get it, okay. And yeah. it was so simple because I just sat down to write it and seriously, it took me about a month to write it. Um, the editing took longer because, you know, I tend to be too direct on some levels in you know, what I say. <laughs> and so I had to learn how to pat it out a bit more. So the editing took a bit longer, but the actual writing of it was 
simple and effortless because I don't believe I was really writing it. It was just, there was no research because it was just my last 44 years of experiences of doing this. That's all I've written from. And so it was it was just a natural unfolding really. So it wasn't um, hard work at all. I, I wouldn't do it if it was hard work and, and I was making <laughs> myself do it was coming from the mind. It was just yeah. an effortless process for which I'm eternally grateful. Yeah, when it's coming from the mind, we need to make a lot of effort. There's so much hard work involved. But then when it's coming from intuition, it just comes to us and it's effortless. It flows. Yeah, it flows, yes. right. Yes. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And speaking of intuition, this is a word that we use. Would you say the heart's energy is too being in touch with the heart or intuition something different? To me, it's all sort of part of the mix. Um, when I, It depends who I'm working with, what language I use. So most females, this is going to sound sexist, most females understand intuition more than what a lot of men do. I'm generalizing, I'm sorry. But especially if motherhood, but fathers can learn intuition, especially if they do um, caring of their children. But we are different in how, you know, we're put together. So most females understand intuition because especially if you do parenting, you intuitively can know what's going on with your kids, even if they don't tell you. So you know that men have to usually feel into it more and, and work with it more. And as more and more dads are doing the stay-at-home stuff or looking, taking, um, caring for their kids, then their intuition is increasing a lot, I notice, particularly through the child raising. But on the whole, there's, a, you know, men are more linear, more left brain, more logical, more rational. But this is the changing of the planet as well, where women through thousands of years have been denigrated on some level and not valued enough. We have to bring forth our masculine and men have to bring forth out the feminine so that we both come into a place of balance and wholeness within us because we're an equal mixture of both. So sometimes I'll use, if I'm talking to a man, I'll use the word your gut instincts, yeah. which is exactly the same as in intuition, learning to trust your gut and knowing around that. And to me, our intuition is a gift from source, whatever you want to call it, you know, that is our pipeline through to understanding more, bypassing the mind and understanding more of the vastness because it sits in the right brain, the intuition rather than the left brain. So again, I wish we had a school system that taught us how to know that this is who we are and trust it from the very beginning because it's possible to do all that and to learn that. I mean, Steiner was the closest we got to it, Rudolf Steiner, but even that to me doesn't go far enough these days. Um, so it, it's a whole compilation of learning how to trust in whatever you want to call it, your intuition, your gut knowing, but also the heart's highest truth and the difference between what mind looks like, I'll use that word, when it's telling us to do something and what the heart looks like. And we're so suppressed in the right brain. The school system is basically a left brain area for learning. And lucky if it suits 25% of the kids that go there because there's so many children being born on the planet now that are more right brain than left brain. And boy, don't they struggle in the school system. 
so they don't connect. I mean, they can't. Yeah, it's not possible. And one of my youngest son was like that. Um, he, there was no school system that suited him. And boy, I changed schools many times for him. But, you know, he was saying to me since he was three, you can't tell me what to do, mum. You're not inside my body. You don't know how I feel. And he's totally correct. Right. It's just hard to hear from a three-year-old. But he's so true. It's <laughs> yeah. totally true. <laughs> they know, right. They trust yeah, they what do. they know. Right. <laughs> There's an archetype called, I made up a lot of the archetypes in the cards because I kept putting it in people's energy field. So I made up an archetype called the Noah archetype, K-N-O-W-E-R. And these are the kids that are born knowing, but they struggle in the left brain world of rational, logical mind. And again, one day this will all change and their skills will be recognized for what they are and not put down to the logical left brain world. So talk to me about the archetypes. What are they and how are they connected to beliefs? The archetypes, the, the name archetypes goes back to the days of Plato. So it's not new and Jung popularized archetypes, of course. So it's just another name for patterns or roles or behaviors that we all play. So if I, and there's certain labels that um, you could call it the label too, that we'd recognize if I said, oh, that person's got a strong warrior archetype. You understand that they just seem to say, come and give me your battle. I'll fight it for you because they somehow rather just attract a lot of battles into their life, be it physical or emotional or mental or whatever it is. But there's other archetypes that we don't necessarily understand and what they mean, like the scapegoat archetype is a really difficult archetype to live with if you you know choose to have that pattern all around you. Um, the main archetypes, whereas if I was to mention the good boy or the good girl archetype, we all understand that because that's what we hear growing up. Good boy, if you've cleaned your teeth well, good girl, if you've, you know, washed your hands. I'm guilty of saying that to my kids too when they were growing up, but I've never said it with my grandkids because I wasn't aware of the same things when my kids were little. Um, but good boy and good girl set us up with labels about, it's another way of conditional love where you'll only be loved if you are the good boy or the good girl and we all play it as children because that's what we hear but if you're still playing those roles in your 40s 50s and 60s good luck because you've got no idea who you are you're playing what still the childhood pattern was there so there's four main archetypes that we all share you me the Queen of England, Donald Trump, it wouldn't matter. Your parents, everyone shares these same four archetypes. Um, the fact that you're born the child archetype arises within you and there's many variations to the child. There's the wounded child, the spoiled child, something called the pure eternus, which is the Peter Pan syndrome of the child who never wants to grow up. The classic example of that was Michael Jackson, who had his childhood basically taken away from him because he was put on stage performing from six or seven years of age or something, and you're always trying to get back there. Uh, the next archetype that arises is the victim, and mm. that sounds a funny label, but the victim is that part of us that says, this isn't fair, it's your fault, you've done this to me, you have to fix it, or it's too hard, I can't possibly do this. There's a massive victim consciousness on the planet where we need to blame everyone else for where we're at. It's the government's fault, the school system's fault, the parents' fault, you know, your partner's fault. It's massive, and we're still 
steeped in it, unfortunately. And within these archetypes of child and victim and the other two I'm going to name, there's levels of awareness. So at the lower levels or the tribal level, it plays out in a certain way. But at the top or the higher level, the symbolic level, the full awake consciousness, it plays out differently again. So the victim is really strong on the planet right now. The next archetype that arises confuses people because it's called the prostitute. And it's it's not about a career change, as I say to people. The prostitute asks, what are you doing to sell yourself short? What are you doing to put yourself out of your integrity? And how that applies as children is, and this is all at the unconscious level, unfortunately, again, we take on board roles that are going to win us approval. So good boy, good girl is one of them, but it could be the pleaser, the rescuer, the healer. You know, it could be the, I'll be the, if you're part of a large family, even though we share some roles, you have to play Each child will have to play an individual role or it won't be noticed. So even adverse behaviour is better at being noticed than not being noticed at all. So somebody might be play the funny role in the family. Someone will be the academic. Someone will be the scapegoat. This is if there's really large families going on. So, But those roles um, that you play as a child to win approval if they're still calling the shots later on in life then you will your belief systems will be creating your reality and you'll just keep be bringing in those roles to play out so typically in adulthood the prostitute would play out with females staying in relationships that no longer serve them but for the fear of being on their own losing the kudos of the relationship what will other people think you know, the fear of um, starting a new, they'll stay there and sell themselves short for the material gains. And for typically it plays out for a, a man staying in a job that he hates. But again, for similar reasons, I won't get another one. I'm getting a good salary. I've got the car. I've got the cutest. I'll stay there even though I hate it. Unfortunately, the prostitute archetype is very dangerous to our health. Well, so is the victim, but it is um, it can spell huge illnesses later on. And the last one is a given as the saboteur. So that comes up every time you go to make change. So um, it'll say, you sure? What if you fail? What if you make a mistake? What if it doesn't work out? And it clicks into your doubting mind and it will sow seeds of doubt. So those four are a given. For all of us, child, victim, prostitute, saboteur, and then the other eight can change and change consistently for you, depending on where you're at in your life or what you've done. When I left, um, I Spirit told me to build a meditation retreat, which I had for 18 years up in the country, and it was a very clear vision of doing it. It was really, really hard work back then, getting it up and running, and that's why I saw the contrast with writing the book. I really know the difference between <laughs> make something happening and then the flow of when when it was there but it was necessary for my growth to build this meditation retreat and at the end of the day it really was there for me even though thousands of other people benefited from it as well but I also learned an enormous amount from having that experience of building that because it taught me things that I 
you know, we're often tested on whether we've we've got got this belief system in place now. So, and whether it's our deepest truth. And sometimes we have to serve apprenticeships. And that meditation retreat was a huge apprenticeship for me, in understanding energy and serving it, and all the workshops I ran up there. But there was something else. But I've gone. Sorry. So, so. What the original question was that you were saying uh, about the archetypes, the four main archetypes, yes. Um, so those four go in, but the other eight can change, um, and they do in each chart according to where you're at. That's what I was going to say. Thank you. So when I left, Spirit gave me the next lot of instructions. It's time to leave this now, even though it had taken such hard work. So I did a chart for myself, and um, it will make sense if you read the book, but I had 10 archetypes sitting at the tribal level when I left. Now, mm. that made total sense to me because tribal is all about fear. It's all about the fear of making the next step and staying safe and wanting to be in control and mind, mind, mind. Of course, I had 10 at the tribal level when I left it because I had worked so hard to get that up and running. It was a huge trust and faith project that went on. And I was walking away from every single thing that I had worked so hard to gain. So why wouldn't there be 10 at the tribal level? But it was fascinating to chart my progress because I do charts for myself often to see how it changed from tribal through to individuation and symbolic um, that the journey of of learning how to trust even deeper as you walk away from everything that's been so hard to create so I the journey is um, it's rich in its unfolding and showing you who you are at the deeper level what I love about your work is that we can actually find out for ourselves yeah for ourselves and it can be very subtle too we think that we are free from all these archetypes, but we are not if we really go deeper into it. <laughs> it's <laughs> a very you. unfolding yeah, it's a very unfolding journey. And that's why I think the book had to be written that, you know, if I was to drop dead tomorrow, I'd be I feel very, very complete and yet I'm, you know, I've often seen myself here to well over a hundred, but uh, either way, I've had a couple of experiences where I thought this is it, falling down mountains and things. And, and genuinely, I can say that if I was to go tomorrow, that's fine. And that's why the book had to be written because it's um, I've always, everything that I've taught over all these years is I'm giving you what I understand and what I know. Now you go out and improve on it. You go out and make it yours. You go out and change it around to the way that you wanted to. I've always believed in self-empowerment and giving a tool to someone and say, you do this now because it's all within you. You've got everything you need. Just go deeper and find it. And so the book is a fabulous way of finding out how to do this for yourself to chart you where your archetypes are. Everything's written there. Um, everything's on the website, all the videos are there that you can see it and understand it and there's ways and I've also done videos where I show you how to pull the charts together so it's a true I've never found a more relevant tool ever and I've done a lot of different things over the a long time now that that cuts to the chase immediately it just shows you immediately where you're at and I as I said 25,000 charts later I am always blown away as to the efficacy and the accuracy in all those chart readings I've only ever had one person say this is a load of rubbish and that I talk about that in the book there was reasons for that so um 
Oh, wow. Yes, so, and you can tell because most people either sit there with tears rolling down their face and I say to people, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You already know this. It's just how honest you are with yourself. It's only your own truth. That's all. It's just how honest you'll be in admitting it. That's it. Wow. I, Every, we all know it. It's just because we'll, we'll own it. Yeah. That might be one powerful thing to do, to just... Uh, have the courage to to tell ourselves the truth, see what's happening. Of course, being open that we know that we can change and grow, but it's important to accept. And that's, that's very true. Thank you for saying that because I say it doesn't matter what the chart says. There isn't anything you can't change because you are a powerful person. You just have to own it that you have all these abilities within you and get rid of the rubbish that says you're not that because it's, you know, you've been programmed to believe that, but it's not the truth of you. So it, it does take a little bit of um, curiosity more than anything else to yeah. see. But as you mentioned before, you'd rather work with modalities where it by sort of bypasses the mind because that can therefore cause conflict. And that's what I admire about this work too, even though it takes a little bit of mind to understand it, but it comes from that intuitive part of you, especially because you never know what you're choosing. It's done blind, mm. if you like. There is no conscious recognition. You choose archetypes not having a clue what you're doing. And that, to me, is fabulous, you know, that you've the mind's bypassed. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I know you mentioned before the interview that you'd like to do this. And now I'm very <laughs> curious about it. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, no, I have to do this. Yeah, I'll definitely set up a section with you. It would be my pleasure. Yeah, I love that, Barbara. So we'll set up that after the interview. And let me see if I have another question for you here. I know you do these, uh, you call them archetype chart readings. Do you do them online, like um, on Skype, Zoom? Talk to me for a moment about Whichever. that. Um, whichever modality, if you're here in Australia, it, it can be done on the mobile as well. But mainly I use Zoom or Skype or FaceTime or whatever's available and it's all recorded. I do have to say I'm taking a, a little break at the moment from having shifted house and whatever, but I have trained many people in how to do it and, and I, I tune in to people if they want one and then give them the right person. Um, there's a lady, well, there's lots of ladies that I trust in, in doing this, but there's so, I'm so blown away with people's creativity. So one lady I taught and she's a fashion consultant. She goes in and she's been in the fashion industry for years and she goes into people, particularly ladies, and she can do it for men though, and checks out their wardrobe because their wardrobe tells mm. her everything about them according wow. to the clothes that you have. But if they can't, what they're hiding, what they can't own, you know, what they're dumbing themselves down around. And she's very skillful at how to do this. But she said, when they don't believe me, then she does a chart and it gives exactly the same answers, even though the person has chosen the cards and they don't know what they're choosing again. Um, but she said it just blows her away how they tie in together because it's so accurate in terms of... Um, they just doesn't lie. They just don't lie. And she said, and then when they've got double the evidence, the clothes as well mm -hmm. as the chart, they can't 
run away from it. Mind you, it doesn't mean say people pick up the ball and run with it. You know, that that takes courage too. But yeah. it's there in black and white. And, you know, sometimes we take two steps forward and three back before we've got the courage to move forward more. So we're almost at the end. And I love the section in your book that you also mentioned addictions that we have been our three biggest addictions used to be money, sex, and food. And then mm-hmm. it progressed into uh, social media, business, and then overthinking. <laughs> and then you talk mm-hmm. about guilt and shame, awesome, the feeling of not being enough, all this. That really resonated true to me about addictions. We are addicted to something. I mean, sadly and unfortunately, and I love what you do because this uncovers the addictions we have so we can grow. That's the the whole purpose and uncover ourselves. We all run at least 10 addictions and sometimes I offend people when they say that, oh, don't be ridiculous, I don't have addictions. <laughs> and then when I start to list them, and I usually start off by saying, well, my two biggest addictions that I had to overcome was being the workaholic because that's all my family validated you for, what you'd achieved and how hard you worked. In fact, we were never allowed to sit down as children and it's one of the reasons I knitted so many jumpers when I was young is the only way I could validate sitting down. And that's sad when when you realise these things. But my second biggest addiction is an unusual one and most people don't have it because I'm an identical twin Mm. and identical twins don't have boundaries because you're literally in the womb with someone. You don't know where you start and, and, you know, or end really because you've got someone with you all the time. Um, Then to add on an astrology mix of Cancer and Pisces, I sure haven't had any boundaries this time around. So learning boundaries has been a major thing to overcome for me because I haven't had any. It's been a major addiction to just give everything away because that's that's what people do when they don't have boundaries. They give themselves and everything else. But then I say to people, apart from, you know, our the busyness is a massive addiction to so many people. And I never thought I'd say, I'm so glad I didn't grow up you know, with mobile phones or or the social media because jeepers that's scary. What there's wonderful things about social media, but there's equally insidiously dangerous things about it as well and there's a whole new psychological component to social media but then when I point out the other addictions that we can have to retail therapy to sport there's massive addictions for people to being right having to have the answers you know um, being addicted to always being in control is our number one addiction anyway we're all little control freaks it just depends how it plays out and if it's a major or minor thing but it is our number one fear being out of control because that was our birth experience so we are so so many addictions we just haven't put them into that category but they're alive and well yeah (laughs) and the charts will show you where you're still holding on to them and that's what we need to know that's a very important work to do yeah because it's not until it comes to the consciousness that then we can make a clear decision to drop it so we're almost at the end i have a few more questions for you but before that would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book no actually thank you for asking but no i tend to be I wrote that book, um, it was released March last year, 2019. And so even since then, I have moved on in so many other ways. So 
I loved it, and I, and I think it's highly relevant in the charts there, but it's sort of not like where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I've moved on already. It, it, it's so quick what we're doing in this day and age now. Do you find that, how Perhaps. quick life is moving? I just yes. see something is changing. It's interesting, <laughs> very interesting. All the time. Right. But when you say, is there anything I'd like to add, if I could have a magic wand and wave it over the planet, over everybody that I know and that I love, it would be to simply remember the truth of who you are, that you're none of the programs you've received. You're none of the insecurities and the doubts and the fears. This is a fear-based realm that we live in here on the earth plane. And that is what needs to change, living in fear, because that makes us um, obviously fear-based but controllable as well. And if we could just, uh, I'd love to sprinkle fairy dust, but that's the journey. That's the experience of coming here into human form, experiencing ourselves as consciousness. To uh, There's no right and wrong in any of this. It's just the experience of what we're doing. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, love that. Beautifully said, yeah. So two more questions for you. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No. (laughs) I'm so, I feel so blessed to have had the life I've had with all its ups and downs. Um, I have three gorgeous children and nine gorgeous grandchildren. I'm so grateful for all the the travel I've done and the meditation. And they're all experiences. They're not who I am. They're just the experiences. But uh, no, I I easily can say to people how much I love them and value them. And so, no, there isn't anything I'd change. No. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Ah, yes, three things I know of life. I'm not the body-mind connection is one thing that I absolutely know now, um, so much more than that. I'm um, an infinite being of light and love. I know that more and more. And the last thing is um, a dichotomy, but it's so true. You know, I'm learning I know nothing. (laughs) I'm learning (laughs) Damn about it. (laughs) Yeah, you're a lot of fun. (laughs) Thank you so much for your innate, profound wisdom, your beautiful presence, and for your message and mission in this reality. Thank you. And thank you for being in touch. I value this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you and bless you. Thank you. One more question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yes, um, mainly through the website, which is archetypechartreadings.com. And everything people want to know is there, um, the purchasing the cards or whatever, all the free videos and um, everything's there that people want to know. So that's it, really. Just the one website. Beautiful. Book. Thank you so much again, Barbara. And we'll talk soon. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Barb Stone and her work, please visit archetypechartreadings.com.
To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.